Hi, I'm David Green from the Electromagnetic Nutritional Hub. In today's episode, we're going to talk about blood tests. Doctors, clinics, and hospitals are quick to administer blood tests to diagnose disease or evaluate people's health. But are all these blood tests really necessary? And can we really trust the answers they give us? Let's explore in a little more depth and see what conclusions we can make. Blood tests were originally envisaged as a way of helping to diagnose diseases. Since their inception, the number of ailments tested for has risen dramatically, along with the number of routine tests we're exposed to. A lot of these routine tests are typically carried out even when there's nothing actually wrong with the patient. While these tests may be slightly unpleasant, they're viewed as a necessary evil because they're only minimally invasive and can yield supposedly valuable information about our health. A phrase that's often used to justify these blood tests is better safe than sorry. But while these blood tests may seem like only a minor inconvenience, it's easy to lose sight of the enormous amount of money and manpower these tests cost the National Health Service each year. The way we justify this expense is by viewing blood tests as a preventative measure, as the only way of ensuring that we are, in fact, as healthy as we appear. But think about it. We're not avoiding any kind of disastrous outcome if we are, in fact, healthy to begin with. Even when these results say we're healthy, though, how can we be certain we actually are? We rarely stop to question the validity of these findings. But can it be possibly dangerous to accept what we're told, and, in a larger sense, the standard way of doing things, without raising any broader questions? That's what we'll explore in this discussion. So let's start by asking an obvious but very important question. How are blood tests interpreted? When you have a blood test, the results of that test get compared to the normal and accepted range for healthy individuals. These numbers indicate the lower and upper limits, and if your results fall outside of them, you're considered to have an issue. However, there is no one user's manual for life that tells us where these figures should fall. Medical professionals have invented these ranges by taking the results of lots of seemingly healthy individuals and creating an average. Let's take a longer view for a moment. Here's an intriguing question. How did we manage before blood tests were invented? If we look at medical case history, taking naturopathy and other forms of early medicine into account, it becomes clear that we were able to assess the health of individuals long before we developed these modern blood testing methods. This raises more intriguing questions. Firstly, if we can evaluate someone's health without a blood test, why is it necessary to carry them out on such a frequent basis? Secondly, if a person looks and feels healthy, but their blood tests disagree, are they unhealthy or not? And thirdly, if a person feels unwell, but blood tests show them as being healthy, is the blood test correct or their lived experience? This is a major issue with modern medicine. We've decided that the blood test is more important than any other diagnostic tool and that it overrides what we actually feel. This becomes problematic once we realize that an industry that benefits from us being ill is the one deciding on whether or not we're healthy. And this can make us question ourselves. We may feel perfectly well, but if a test tells us otherwise, then we're expected to take action. The medical establishment suggests that we must act immediately, undergoing costly treatments to make ourselves quote-unquote well again, i.e. to make those numbers on paper align with their desired averages. These blood tests are meant to provide a clear picture of how our bodies and their internal systems are operating. 
This means flagging up any organs that are being overworked or coming under strain. For example, if high levels of a particular hormone are detected, the assumption is that the gland producing the hormone has become overactive. Similarly, if low levels of nutrients are discovered, medical professionals will suggest we should be supplementing those nutrients. We therefore view these results as an accurate indicator of how our bodies are working, using these results to guess which organs or glands are working at a less than optimal level, what activity we ought to suppress, and which we should be supporting. However, there are certain issues with such an approach. One important issue is the anatomical and functional differences between veins and arteries. When medical professionals take blood, it comes from a vein rather than an artery. The two perform different functions, with arteries taking oxygen and nutrients to the cells and veins returning used blood, which is low in oxygen and high in waste products. This has three important consequences. Number one, blood tests only show us the nutrients in our blood after our cells have already taken what they need. This means that where high levels are detected, only a small amount has been taken. And where low levels are found, the cells have satiated themselves to a greater extent. As a result, it's impossible to say whether low levels are simply a reflection of the cells having taken what they need, in the same way a plate is more likely to be empty when a diner is hungry rather than when they're full. Number two, when high levels of waste products are found, it's assumed that a related organ is not performing its role properly. However, veins are designed to take waste products away from cells. So when organs are working hard, they naturally produce more waste. So this doesn't necessarily mean the organ isn't working properly. It could simply mean that the organ is doing a good job. Assuming the opposite is like saying that a factory isn't working well because it's producing a large amount of waste. And number three, the level of hormones found in a single blood sample is not the same as the amount of hormones being produced by a gland and carried to the cells for operational purposes. Rather, it only shows what a person's blood looks like once the cells have taken what they need from it. To put that a different way, the hormones in a blood sample are nothing more than an indication of the hormones produced by the cells themselves. These come directly from the cells, as this is where the blood is being transported from when the test is performed. This all casts the validity of blood tests in a very different light to the one we're used to. Another major issue is determining if test results are due to efficiency or productivity. One of the questions this raises is whether deficiency may in fact be evidence of productivity, meaning that whether what looks like overproduction is instead a deliberate and natural slowdown in activity. Could this be possible? Researchers have known since the early 1980s that the cells produce what they need when they need it. There is no centralized production unit or complex distribution system to keep us alive. Rather, our body's communication system is based on waste management. This means that each cell is individually responsible for producing what it requires, whether it's fat, hormones, minerals, proteins, vitamins, or water. The stimulus that passes on these production messages is a vibrational pulse, i.e. an energy wave. This takes information from the outside world and other cells and uses it to ensure that our cells are operating effectively. Our cells respond to these vibrational impulses, turning them into physical activity. This ultimately results in the production of waste, which gets removed from our bodies via lymphatic fluid and the blood that's found in our veins and capillaries. To put it simply, this means the blood we test 
is simply the end result of cellular activity. What it provides is an insight into this. Where levels are high, we know there has been a lot of this kind of activity in the cells. For example, raised glucose indicates our cells have been using a lot of energy. Raised thyroid hormones show our cells have been very active. Raised liver markers indicate liver activity within the cells has been high, rather than that the liver cannot cope with its workload. Depleted levels, on the other hand, tell us cellular activity has been low. This might be because this particular function hasn't been needed, or because the cells are no longer able to perform it. If a period of very low activity follows on from a period of very high activity, and the stimulus level is unchanged, this is when we should be concerned. This is when we know the cells are struggling to cope with demand and can no longer perform their function properly. In the same vein, when we expect to see a high level of a particular cellular activity, but discover low levels instead, we know the individual is in trouble. For so long as the cells are still responding to stimuli, recuperation tends to be possible. But when this stops, we ought to worry. So how do we encourage the system to heal itself? By reducing energetic pressure on it. Another major issue with blood tests is that different body parts impact the test results. What's interesting to note is that the results of blood tests can vary depending on the body part they're taken from. Think of it this way. The veins carry the cell's waste products. So these naturally vary throughout the body because not all of the cells perform the same tasks at the same time. Usually, blood is taken from the wrist or elbow. The blood in these veins carries waste away from the fingers, hand, and forearm. The results of such a blood sample will thus tell us how the cells in these parts of the body are doing. What they're less likely to provide is an insight into how the cells in your abdomen, legs, or pelvic region are coping. This means that this type of blood test is unlikely to deliver accurate results if a doctor wants to study your liver or kidney function, for example. As a rule, the cells in our bodies derive information from two sources, general and local. The former tells the body about the environment it lives in and how it should respond. Therefore, all the cells will display a certain level of this type of activity. If we wanted to study it, it wouldn't matter overmuch which vein the blood was taken from. If a person lived in high-pressure conditions, for example, all of the cells would show this. If we were interested in finding out local information, however, the specific levels of waste would be influenced by the area of the body the sample came from. That's because local traumas can impact cellular activity, making specific and localized demands on various biological regions. Where the disease process was a local affair, blood taken from the elbow would therefore be unlikely to show signs of it. This might result in your doctor deeming you perfectly healthy, even though you may be anything but. This is particularly problematic if the aim is early intervention and treatment because by the time a localized illness begins to affect the cells in your wrist or elbow, the disease would have spread to your entire system, and the opportunity to contain it would be lost. By this point, the whole energetic system would be at risk of failing. It also matters a lot how blood testing methods and interpretations vary. The very way we perform blood tests is proof of how our cells provide for their needs. The variations that are often seen in cellular activity indicate that energetic impulses drive this while high or low levels of elements may provide an insight into what cells have been doing, the judgment of how appropriate or healthy these levels are is an entirely man-made concept. Indeed, from the perspective of our cells, the levels are always correct and as they should be. 
That's because these levels are a direct effect of stimuli in the form of energetic impulses that pass messages to our body. These levels are therefore no more than an indicator of what our cells have been up to. There is nothing inherently right or wrong about them. We only decide that these levels are right or wrong when a human compares them to the level they would like them to be, and which that individual has deemed as appropriate. However, nature doesn't play by the laws of men. It simply does what it needs to keep a system functional. If this is the case, isn't it better to allow the cell to do as it will without interfering? All of these issues may cause us to ask ourselves, are blood tests leading us down a questionable path? The way laboratories measure these levels can have a marked impact on the result. As Einstein said, the interpretation of a measurement is simply another variable. The thoughts and analysis we attach to those figures are detached from reality. They mean nothing to the cells in our body or how they work. According to some medical professionals, we shouldn't use these results to interfere with the function of the cells, which are reactive, but there are ways we can support them. For example, Herring's Law of Cure suggests that to rid the body of toxicity, for example, disease or inflammation, illness needs to leave from top to bottom, from the greater organs to the lesser. This treatment should be based not on empty results, however, but on symptoms and case history. When we rely instead on blood tests, it creates a concerning paradigm. Modern-day nutritionists can fall into the trap of being led by these pseudo-medical tests rather than relying on their own naturopathic observation. This can lead to expensive recommendations that require constant tinkering to maintain these optimum levels. Perhaps what we ought to be doing instead is addressing the problems that are quite literally staring us in the face, the need to eliminate toxins from the body to rid it of disease. As many would suggest, less is in fact more. This follows the teaching of renowned naturopath Arnold Arad, who believed that all illness was fundamentally down to consumption. So, what's the final takeaway from all of this? While blood tests are frequently used by modern-day medical professionals and nutritionists, we shouldn't always accept their results unquestioningly. We need to look at why they're being run in the first place and ask ourselves whether seemingly healthy individuals really require such a degree of intervention. This works the other way around, too. Where someone is displaying obvious symptoms of illness, we shouldn't claim they're healthy simply because their blood test results tell us so. Instead, we ought to look at their case history and what ails them to help improve their overall health and well-being. Costly, often erroneous, and failing to provide a complete picture of what's happening in our bodies, blood tests should not be our first port of call when it comes to diagnostics and treatment. Instead, it can be far better to treat symptoms rather than some perceived illness that may never manifest. After all, naturopaths are taught that blood will always maintain its own integrity. Once again, I'm David Green from the Electromagnetic Nutritional Hub. To learn more about taking accountability and responsibility for your own health, why not take a look through our extensive archives of articles and podcasts? Filled with useful information on nutrition and supplementation, this content is full of knowledge that will help you make better lifestyle choices. Please check out our in-depth blogs and webinars at www.electromagneticnutrition.com. And thanks for listening to our podcast. 